Welcome to Piedmont Arts. I'm Rachel Stewart. On April 28th at 7.30 p.m., the concert for the human family will take place at Holy Comforter Episcopal Church in Charlotte. The concert for the human family is actually a series of concerts that highlights the themes of community and racial reconciliation. The performances uh, feature original compositions that bridge jazz, hip-hop, bluegrass, and more. And pianist and composer uh, Corey Caudill is the music director of the series, and he joins us to talk to us about it. Well, why don't we start by just talking about the concert for the human family a little bit. Can you explain to us what it is and why it is? So the concert series is a, it encompasses a lot. And in three years, I'm yet to master the Cliff Notes version of how to tell people what it is. But as uh, quick as I can say it without uh, getting too detailed or, or boring anybody, it started in 2018, really is just a few folks in the same room dreaming. And the main office of, of the Episcopal Church had approached me about doing some concerts in some of the spaces they have throughout the world. And these are just gorgeous cathedrals or uh, or small churches, uh, places that are really spiritual in nature. And we were wondering what we could do to invite folks from the community into those spaces, not necessarily for religious purposes, but just to um, let everybody in the community be welcomed into the same room to experience something that we all should enjoy during a time when we're all pretty divided and quarreling over everything we can find. And uh, so it started as that. And as we started working on making them a reality, we really started getting in touch with uh, the need that people were feeling to, to find healing in these concerts or to find ways ways to, to communicate with their neighbors um, outside of social media and outside of all the, the vitriol that we see when we log on somewhere, when we turn on a television. So um, as we started growing the series, we're kind of collecting... Um, uh, we're, we're taking inventory on all the folks that we've worked with, that I've worked with in my career, and that I was currently working with. And the more we're talking about it, the more I'm finding the people around me, especially the musicians and recording artists of color, are saying, this is a really cool platform. And, well, I have a voice that's going to get heard in this capacity. So it evolved from, hey, let's just do some concerts, to how do we do this in a way that really means something? Uh, to people. We're not just going into rooms and playing music and leaving and going to the next one. And how do we leave people feeling inspired uh, to have a conversation with their neighbor if they want to? Or just leave people inspired to um, uh, to make a difference in the community or to see past whatever it is about their neighbor that they think might be a wall between them. And at its core, they're concerts. And it's not, uh, it's not seminars. It's not come here to do this and engage in this. At its core, folks can come and just experience music that we hope they're going to enjoy just as a fan of music. And in the middle of it, we hope that they see Wordsmith and I's partnership and our brotherhood. Uh, my dad's up there with us and all the folks who collaborate with us. And they draw something from it that they might not have considered before seeing that concert. So I guess we should explain a little bit about who Wordsmith is and why collaborating with him is interesting yeah. for a lot of people. Yeah, Wordsmith, yeah, not just because he's one of my co-creators on the series, he is one of the most impressive individuals I have ever met in my life. And uh, I don't say that lightly. Word, 
is a uh, he, he's raised two wonderful boys by himself. He does more in the Baltimore community uh, with his nonprofit uh, than anybody I can imagine doing in their communities by themselves. And beyond that, he's an incredible hip hop artist, spoken word artist, storyteller, and he's a resident artist with the Baltimore Symphony. So they will commission him often to take classical pieces and reframe them from an urban or a modern perspective. And Ward and I actually met on a show at a military base uh, when I was performing as a sideman with the country artist, Justin Moore. And we had never got to have a hip hop artist on the bill the same bill we did. So we were out at his sound check and uh, floored because we only get to hear country music when we were on the road. And out of all the things that have happened, I'll tell people the real miracle in all this is that Wordsmith agreed to hang out with me after the show because all he saw was some dude with a Kentucky hat and a semi-mullet smelling like Coors Light come up to him and say, hey, man, I love how you rap. <laughs> and, uh, and then but we go backstage and uh, we're hanging out. We find out how surface level uh, our differences really are. And he's saying, yeah, I work with the Baltimore Symphony. And I'm saying, I'm classically trained. And we're both going, no, you, you, classic. And then so we had an immediate uh, friendship that has lasted for, for years now. And when the concert series started, Wordsmith and I were already making music together. We were making music together about, um, uh, in ways that were meant to reflect on or draw attention to what was happening in the world in a ways that we wanted our kids to be proud of. So. Um, we were already writing songs on that had to do with gun violence. We were already writing songs that had to do with uh, racial tensions in America before the concert for the human family was created. So I tell folks often, we didn't change anything that we were already doing. We started the concert for the human family. We just found new partners um, and folks who were really able to take it to the next level with the Episcopal Church. And your members, uh, are the musicians that perform on the concert, <laughs> for the human family, they do come from different backgrounds, correct? Mm -hmm. That's correct. Um, we've got folks from pretty much every corner of the country, uh, folks in, uh, from different generations. There's um, one of the coolest things when, when Chester Thompson is able to join us. Uh, if you're not familiar with Chester, he's definitely worth a Google. He's an African-American drummer. He's probably in his mid to late 70s now. Uh, he was in Genesis. Uh, he's known for drum directors with Phil Collins, Weather Report, Frank Zappa, but he pioneered a style of drumming that has had a massive impact on pop music. But um, you've got somebody with his history coming from that generation, paired on the stage with my dad in the same generation who was from as deep rural Appalachia as it gets, but he also had an impact on the arts community. And so those two seeing those two up there, these different backgrounds just going on as, as if they've been brothers their whole life. Um, a gentleman we, we work with from time to time, probably going to get to work with him less and less now because he's seen a lot of success. Uh, Blessing Ofer. Um, Blessing is originally from Nigeria, and he came stateside because uh, they were able to, he was able to get better treatment for uh, being visually impaired. And Blessing and I met at college in Belmont and we studied music together. And so here I am, a, just a little dude from East Kentucky, and I'm getting to play with guys from Nigeria, guys from Baltimore, um, Texas. And 
uh, gals from all over across, uh, across the world. And this project has really given all those folks a platform to make art in their own way and it, in a way that they feel like they can be heard. How often do these concerts happen? Not often enough. Um, I, I would do it as, as often as possible because we, we feel that the um, we, we've seen how people react to it and we want that feeling to grow in communities. Right now they probably happen uh, a couple weekends a month. Um, and as, as I've gotten a little older and I've got a family now, I made a kind of natural musician progression from touring to studio work, producing, uh, running a publishing company. And I told myself I wouldn't tour extensively again, but from seeing how this impacts folks, um, I, I think all of us involved would go to the end of the world to, to see it grow to the, the size we, we think it's capable of. Well, tell me a little bit about the impact that you see. What kind of, re- how, how do people leave the concerts? We have such a hard time explaining it that we actually, on our last tour, we videoed people um, to get their reactions and to have them say it because it's one thing for me to tell you, hey, so-and-so said it was great. Um, because you're, if I heard that, I would say, yeah, it's your show, of course you say that. But um, it's different. And I've been in music my whole life and I've performed my entire life. And this leaves people speechless often. And that's not me talking about my musicianship or any of those things. It's the experience itself. We feel it too. Um, one lady came up to us in Spokane, Washington a couple of weeks ago and said, you know, I haven't been in a church space in over 20 years, but I saw that a pianist was coming. I love music. And uh, I came and she said, I felt a brotherly love that I haven't felt in years from being in this space and going through this with you all. And um, folks are often surprised at a lot of things that happen. And it's something we all experience together. It's not just going and watching people do something. Uh, it's some, it's kind of a, um, it's just an experience. It's a ride we all go on together with us as performers and the audience members. And now I'm just kind of pointing people to uh, the videos that we made. Because uh, a lot of times they just have a hard time talking or explaining it, but when folks tell us that they felt a love and a um, uh, a broken down barrier that they haven't felt in a long time, uh, that's what keeps us going. Yeah, that must be pretty powerful. It's, it, it is. And the one of our main goals with it is for organized kids uh, to be able to, to know that dad was doing this at a time when it felt like the world needed mm. What do, you, what do you think is the power and importance of working across genre like you do? Well, it, it's powerful when it's done naturally and not for the sake of working across genre. Um, in Wordsmith and I's case, uh, he stays very true to what he does, and I stay very true to what I do, which is hard to explain. It's somewhere between this Appalachian, this classical rock and roll of jazz, just glob of whatever and he has this really unique delivery uh it's almost like he's acting when he does hip-hop and rap and we both stay true to those things and there's a they 
they met in a way that was very natural. So um, I think seeing those two different genres combined in a way to where if you were watching it, you wouldn't think of it as being two things combining. It's just its own thing. I think there's power in that. And I think one of the reasons we tell folks, look, um, the content and the reason we're doing this um, uh, is rooted in some hard topics. And it's rooted in things that are often folks don't like to talk about. Um, but if you come to a show, we're not beating people over the head with those kind of things. But Word Smith and I being there and doing that and that music existing um, to us, that's not talking about racial healing and reconciliation. That, that is, um, I would hope, racial healing. That is people seeing these things that wouldn't have happened half a century ago happened just because he and I are, are brothers in love making music and our hope is that when our kids get older if they want to make a record people aren't asking well I wonder if they're just doing this because of what's going on in the world and one of them's black and one of them's white and it's, um, it's, it was just a very natural thing and seeing that it was natural was powerful enough I think for us I have one last question uh for you about your background and history with music and you started uh, playing piano I think when you were what four something like that and do you have you have classical training so can you talk about how that influences what you do yeah that yeah definitely that's a great question I for as um, afflicted as Eastern Kentucky is right now with just a lot of things that uh, folks back there don't deserve economically or from the, the opioid epidemic, um, the coal mines leaving and just leaving folks, the, the economies stranded. Uh, for all those things, the arts community is actually thriving. I mean, it has been for a while and we've got access to resources as young musicians that we couldn't have found anywhere else in the country, shy of New York or Los Angeles. Um, so I had a very, very privileged music education and um, I had classical teachers who not only were good classical teachers, but they cared enough to dig into what made me tick as a musician. And they cared enough to pass me along to the next person when they had done what um, they felt they could do with me. So one person incorporated a lot of humor. The next person when I was a teenager was competitive. And tell me you can't do this. You can't. Uh, so he would, so he'd slap a Chopin A2 with me and say, "No, I can do it. You can't." And he would pass me on to the next person. And I had all those people within a 20 mile radius of a holler in East Kentucky, and that was very, very fortunate. And on top of that, I had access to these just phenomenal bluegrass players. And as I got to college, I learned what a close cousin it is to jazz. It's the same facility and the same way of speaking, just with a different vocabulary. Um, but the classical background, I say classical background, I, I'm familiar with classical music. I've not studied enough to, to call myself um, a classical musician. There are folks who I would never, I, I would be offending if I said I play classical. But I did, I have studied a lot and I admire it and I respect it. And uh, as primarily an ear player, the classical artists and composers that I was drawn to have made their way and that I study, uh, they, it's made their way into what I compose that lives in a more modern world. For example, there, there's a piece that we do in a concert series. Um, and it's 
the beat is really pure bluegrass. And we've actually sampled some old regular Baptist congregations, line singing, shape notes singing. Um, but the harmonies are pretty much Moonlight Sonata. Um, and they, they have inverted chords and uh, dynamics that are really are like the first three movements, or the, the three movements of Moonlight Sonata. Uh, it wasn't intentional, but when I look back on it and we're mixing the song, I'm going, I did this because I'm familiar with Beethoven. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much, Corey, for spending some time with us. Um, our listeners can't see you, but you're sitting in your car. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, well, for the next two weeks, it's our, or for the next two days, it's our tour bus. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. You're on the road right now. Yeah, we're on the road headed to Grand Rapids, Michigan. Well, I, you know, safe travels. And again, Corey Caudill is the artistic director for the Concert for the Human Family. It's a series of concerts that's coming to Charlotte on April 28th. And the performance will be at 7.30 p.m. at Holy Comforter Episcopal Church in Charlotte. Thanks again for joining us for Piedmont Arts, Corey. My pleasure. It's an honor. I look forward to seeing you all next week.